lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Well, we've got a really exciting show for you today. We've got Erica Cooney. She's a licensed marriage family therapist known as the burnout professor. She's a stress and burnout expert, an integrative performance coach, uh, does a director of programming for Same Here Service, is a professional speaker, social media creator, and fellow trauma survivor. She's the founder of the Cooney Method, which is Create Undeniable Natural Impact. And she's a former tripo- trauma psychotherapist, clinical director and adjunct lecturer and clinical professor at Central Connecticut State University. Her mission is to help make the mental health field more effective, accessible, decolonized, and non-stigmatizing. She found this mission in 2014 after being hit by a Mack dump truck, literally, while driving to work and having her life fall apart over the next two years. Erica, thank you much, so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Boy, just reading being hit by a Mack truck it makes me feel physical and emotional trauma. Oh, yes. And I think, you know, at the time, even when that happened, I thought I was fine. You know, I thought stress was a part of life and you're supposed to have a lot of stress in your life. And that Mack dump truck was my wake up call. And yes, it was traumatizing, but I am forever grateful for that moment um, so that I could be where I am today and that I'm here. Well, tell us about that moment. So, you know, I was driving to work that morning and I was exhausted. I was tired and it was that soul tired, you know, when not even coffee's getting you energized and you couldn't dig deep anymore to find that spark that you look for. And it's a, it was a 45 minute commute to be exact. And somewhere along that commute, I started to think, what happens if I were to call up right now and just say I got into a little fender bender? And then that way I can go home and either take care of the things that I had on my never ending to do list or that I could um, actually get some sleep. And wouldn't you know, a couple of moments later, that Mack dump truck merged into my lane. He never saw me and I did not have anywhere to go. And um, I'm blessed to be here, blessed to be alive. And that was the start of this journey of realizing I was burnt out. But I can honestly tell you, it wasn't that particular moment that made me realize I was burnt out. It was after that two-year mark of when everything fell apart that I finally heard the word burnout for the first time and understood more about vicarious trauma, um, compassion fatigue, and moral injury. Well, you know, the, the word burnout, a lot of times it's associated with stress. But from my experience, burnout is very different than stress. Very different. You know, it's a whole nother level, in my opinion. <laughs> so let's uh, talk about that. Let's talk about the differences. Okay. What would you like? Where would you like to start? Well, for me, you know, stress comes and stress goes. And it's chronic. It's always there. But you you are able to have a few moments where you feel like you're in control. And for me, with burnout, you never even look for those moments. No, you don't. And, 
you you know most people i think in my experience whether as a clinician as this integrated performance coach or even as with myself right my own journey we don't know we're burnt out until we get hit by that mac dump truck right it's too late by the time we realize we're burnt out because most of the time we think we're fine and this is just the way it goes and we can just keep on pushing through and it's long past the point of our bodies giving us signals that something's off. It's long past the point of us um, having these behaviors that were either escape behaviors or um, avoidance behaviors. And before you know, it's like when your brain breaks down or when your body breaks down or you have a life event that happens like the Mack dump truck where you hit the proverbial brick wall, that's when we realize we're burnt out. But with stress, people can identify stress a lot easier. But with burnout, it's usually too late in my experience. Well, you know, and you're right. Our bodies, they they start sending signals that things are off. You know, our sleep is off. Our digestion is off. um, You know, our immune system gets down. They're giving us clues for a long time. But I think a lot of times we just tell ourselves, suck it up. Let's do it. (laughs) Just Come on, come on, come on. You got to get this done. Make it happen. (laughs) Yes, I'm chuckling because that's usually what I say. I'm like, we're not doing this suck it up buttercup thing anymore. None of that. We are listening to the body now. <laughs> well, and listening to the body is really, I mean, it's amazing to me what our body will, what our body will tell us. It'll tell us how dysregulated our whole nervous system is. Very much so. And when you know better, you do better. You know how like Dr. Maya Angelou has always been famously quoted to say, And I think for a lot of us, um, especially um, those of us that are healthcare providers, first responders, military, um, anybody that puts ourselves in danger, mental health professionals, teachers at this point, um, and we have to learn how to push through that fear of being in situations that our bodies are saying, hey, this isn't a safe space physically. Um, we learn to shut that part of us down where we stop paying attention to what our body says and we just learn to push through. And my mission really is to help us learn how to get back into our bodies when we're off the clock and to really start to understand, hey, you still have cues you need to pay attention to, especially if you're ignoring them because of your job for what you need to do for your job during working hours. Well, and I think hopefully some of our listeners will start to think, well, Maybe I am experiencing some of that. And if they do stop and think about that, what is what are some red flags that they can look for that what's going on within themselves? And that, you know, if they hear, okay, that's a red flag, maybe they can start looking for it. Great question. So typically what I say is if you start noticing that you don't want to engage in the normal activities of your life, Things that used to make you happy, um, you feel like you don't have time for them anymore. You can also start thinking, um, I'm Italian, and we call it agita, but it's heartburn. If you feel like you're having heartburn quite often, if you're having those GI issues or you're going to the doctor and the doctor's telling you you have IBS and it's like this generic term. Also, you know, the more headaches than normal, migraines even. You can also start to notice you have little to no patience and things just irritate you. You have little to no capability of feeling like you can give somebody something in a connection, so to say, outside of work. And even when you're in work at times, you can feel that you're strapped and you're not able to have that compassion or feel that connection that you used to feel. 
you feel like your to-do list is never ending and you can never catch up on it. And I joke and say, you know, I became really snarky and snarky was, you know, some people can say I was sarcastic, but it was ultimately snarkiness. It wasn't kind, you know, I could be nice, but I wasn't genuinely kind because I had nothing left to give. So those are some things to start looking out for. You can notice that you're drinking more coffee and it's not working. You know, at the height of my burnout, I was adding shots of espresso to my coffee and it still wasn't getting me that oompa that I needed. Or you're drinking more alcohol at night to calm down. Your sleep is disrupted and you're not able to get a good night's sleep or you can fall asleep really easily, but you wake up in the middle of the night or you can't fall asleep right away and then you can sleep through the night. You know, there's it's just a disrupted amount of sleep or you're hitting that snooze button about 10 times in the morning because you just can't find a the desire to get out of bed, but the energy to get out of bed. Um, and last but not least, that motivation is gone. Um, you can do things that you have to do but that motivation to want to do other things seems to have disappeared somewhere. And motivation has to, you know, people, I can't tell you how many times I'm asked, what part of the brain's in charge of motivation? Can you turn that part of the brain on? And I'm like, well, it's more than that. Motivation really has to come from within. And it's more than just how the way, you know, the way the brain's wiring and firing. So, you know, when we talk about, in my world, when I talk about brain, that's mental health. Mental health is mental illness. And I think so, for so long, we've looked at mental illness in a negative light. Nobody wants to admit that they have mental health issues. I mean, nobody, because there's so much stigma around it. And did you, after being hit by that Mac dump truck, did you feel any shame about what happened? 100%. Um, because part of that two years after the Mack dump truck accident happened, I was fired from my job and I was never somebody to be fired. I was never even really written up. I was somebody who was always promoted to manager, trainer. I was always well-regarded. And when I was fired, the shame hit hard at that point in time because I was like, what the heck is going on? What, what am I missing here? And then when I went back to traditional talk therapy, I was realizing even more that traditional talk therapy wasn't working for me. And I was feeling more agitated and I was feeling even more shame about it because I had to keep talking about everything. And I was like, this isn't the answer. And shame happens because we feel that we're not good enough about something where you have to conform and we didn't fit a we didn't fit in a box somewhere. And we were never taught whether it's in the systems that we work in, our family systems, but we were taught that it wasn't okay for us to be ourselves. And burnout, I think, is a lot about conforming. We learned to conform somewhere and we stopped being able to be authentic at the end of the day. And that's tightly related to shame. Absolutely. I mean, that's comply and obey. And yes. that's, kind of, that's what we're taught, you know, comply and obey. And at some point we realize that's not in our best interest. That's not what's best for our souls. That's not what's best for our physical, our emotion, our spiritual health. Definitely not. It is so not okay because that job that I was fired at um, about two months beforehand, I had written an email to the director and I had told him I pretty much wrote out in black and white, all the success that I had in the position. And because I didn't get fired because I didn't do my job. 
what I got fired for was not fitting in. And I didn't pay attention to the signs that I didn't fit in. And, you know, I increased productivity by 49% in seven months. And he told me in the meeting that I was, I thought extremely quick on my feet. I was extremely smart and I should probably watch how I come across to people because it's intimidating. So it was a culture fit. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because knowing what I know now, I would have said, you know what, this might not be working out for us. And I think I will be giving my resignation today. (laughs) Well, why do we have to learn everything the hard way? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that what life's all about? Learning how not to do something? (laughs) Well, I I have to think that it is because that's been my chosen path. (laughs) I am right there with you. A lot of my life has been that. (laughs) So when you left that job. Were you were crushed? Mm-hmm. Uh, how about anger? A little bit of anger in there. At that point in time, the anger wasn't there because I didn't allow myself to feel anger because I was scared of my anger. So I rationalized everything, you know, and I even put self blame. I did a lot of victim where I was not victim. I shouldn't say that. I did a lot of where I put myself in this light that I did something wrong, so I deserved to be fired. And believe it or not, through learning how to become mindful, learning how to sit still and meditate, and then also learning how to regulate my nervous system through movement, right? That's when I started to open up and see other possibilities that, hey, this wasn't my fault. I was in a system that was not okay. And I didn't belong in that system. And so it was a lot of soul work as well in sitting when I was able to sit still and able to deal with that agitation that comes up when you sit still when you're not used to sitting still and once I learned how to manage that agitation and finally get to really just listen to my soul is when I really learned and then I became angry and I worked through that well we all we go through that anger you know it's like that grieving process deny get angry get depressed (laughs) start again round two yes the, you know, you, we've talked about burnout and chronic stress, but we haven't talked about the pandemic. And to me, I have seen the pandemic create both so many times. I have had the same experience, you know, and I keep saying to my colleagues, I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. It's going to come after when we start to get back to quote unquote normal when they say the pandemic's over and we're moving into the endemic, right? And we start becoming more and more to be outside, I should say. I think well, we're going really to start to see more of the not being healthy piece. Well, you know, stop and think about it. Think about the psychological impacts of quarantine, mm-hmm. of social isolation, of the amount of job loss and, and industries, whole industries that were hit and they were shut down. And it, there's I've read like five or six studies uh, that looked at those those factors and they said the same thing. We have yet to see the full impact of that. And we'll we'll continue to see that for years and years and years. Very much so, you know, and that's typical trauma work, you know, being a trauma therapist, you know, once the event is over, that's when true healing can start, but it doesn't begin until you're able to identify that something's going on for you. And then you have to learn how to start creating safe spaces for yourself again, feel that psychological safety and the physical safety again. And 
big thing with this pandemic is how it was handled in the sense of there was a lot of fear for a long time being promoted versus how to empower ourselves to help us combat this versus the fear component that I think is what really is going to be the biggest issue that we have to learn how to navigate going forward. And I think so many of us are still stuck in that fear. I mean, we we our body, our autonomic nervous system is all out of whack. The sympathetic mm-hmm. is in charge. So we're, you know, we're in that fight or flight. Oh, I don't know what to do. And, and that feeds fear. That just feeds that fear. And that's one thing that I've seen. And I've had clients that have come back and typically they don't. They come in. We create the change and they don't come back. But since the pandemic, I've had clients come back. And that's one of the things that I've noticed is I'm like, you're, it seems like you're in that hyper aroused state and a fear. And they're the first one to say, you're exactly right. Why do you think I'm here? (laughs) Yes. You know, and that speaks to systemic way of thinking. If we think of this as one big system, right? We cannot heal in a system that's toxic. So as long as this fear message is keep getting pumped into society, into our new system, right? We're never going to really start to let go of that fear and get into that rest and digest state that we need to be in so that we can truly start to heal. So this is where partly it's learning how to create an environment that's psychologically safe for yourself in your own little world, so to speak, but then also understanding that at the bigger scale that we need to learn how to deliver messages so that we can promote um, empowerment and healing and not fear. So let's talk about those messages and let's send a few of those messages out right now. Sounds good. any particular direction you want to go in? No, just. <laughs> okay. So with that being said, I think everyone should know that you are powerful. Your body is powerful. When you can understand how to create safe spaces within yourself, within your life, for you to have just a couple of moments of day, a day to feel that safety goes a long way. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you need to know that you are powerful. Your body's powerful. Your brain is powerful. And if I can leave like a quote that I'm known to say is your brain is the command center, but your body's your compass. So as long as you are using those two, you can navigate and get through almost anything. Well, you're so correct about, you know, the brain body connection. Our, our gut is our second brain. And the more that I learn about that and the more that I see how, I mean, the body keeps score of everything that's going on in your brain. Absolutely. All the time. And that's why you can go into a situation and your body tenses up and your brain is not getting there yet. Like you don't, your brain hasn't wrapped its mind around what's going on quite yet, but your body's telling you, and we can call that intuition if we want. And in my opinion, it is intuition, you know, and we even neuroscientists call it intuition. It's because your body picks it up first. Yep. And I mean, when you think about it, every second we are capable, our brain is capable of taking in 11 million bits of data. Research says that on a conscious level, which is what really the brain is, you can store 40 to 126. Personally, I think it's 40. But we don't have to do the math. Where does it all go? It goes into our subconscious. 
And to me, that subconscious is where that intuition comes from. Have you ever gone to sleep at night and said, you know, tomorrow I'm going to get up, I'm going to make a decision, I'm going to do it. And you wake up and that decision's made. Mm-hmm. That's that's that subconscious doing all the processing for you. <laughs> Absolutely. I 100%. I mean, and that's powerful when that happens. I mean, I've experienced that myself when I've set that intention before going to bed and then bam. There it is. You know, mm-hmm. it's so fun, so funny how many people will doubt themselves and will question because I have this conversation a lot with people with anxiety and depression and ADHD. You know, all the neurological um, have situations that, that make our brain not work as well as they can. And they'll get up in the morning and they'll say, you know, I made the decision, but I took, I got that piece of paper out. I drew that line down the middle. I put the pluses on one side and the minus on the other side. And I worked through it all over. And I'm like, why'd you do that? <laughs> you, you, you made the decision. Well, I just wasn't sure. So it's once we create that peace and that calm and you've talked about how we do that with you know focusing on things like being mindful and I've talked to people about being mindful and they say well you know I'm really not religious well mindfulness used to be associated with the Buddhist monks but that was 30 years ago mindful mindful is nothing more than just staying present in the moment And without trying to change it and just allowing it to be what it is. And a lot of people, and I'm for whatever you use to get yourself there. A lot of people will use apps on their phone. And if that helps get you there, I think it's great. Uh, Personally, I just try to focus on my breathing. I just try to slow my breath rate down. I'll put my hand on my tummy and I'll try to feel that air go down into my tummy and then I'll try to feel it go out. And that takes a lot of work. Well, we're talking today, I'm probably taking 12 to 14 breaths a moment. Reality is everybody's optimal breath rate is four to seven breaths a minute. To breathe that slowly takes some work. It truly does. It takes training, right? That's how I keep looking at it. It's training your body. You know, we go to the gym for the physical fitness. So let's train our bodies with our nervous system and our brain health. And that's exactly what you're speaking to. Is there anything that you, for me, it's just plain old, close my eyes and focus on my breathing. Is there anything that you have found to be particularly successful for you? At the very beginning of my journey, it was breathing and it was exactly the same way that you were doing it in the sense of I wasn't doing breath work or anything, quote unquote, woo woo. Um, It was literally just getting to know my breath and then knowing where it was falling. But as I've evolved on this journey, you know, because that Mack dump truck accident was in 2014. So we're seven years out at this point. Um, What I realize now is I'm more in nature. I get outside and even if it's for a minute or 30 seconds, just to get outside, take a nice deep breath of air and to feel myself in that moment outside. And um, because I've realized I need to be outside more often than not, because but ultimately all of us humans are meant to be outside. We're not meant to be inside with sterile lighting. Oh, absolutely. And that's one thing I learned from the pandemic is just how valuable just to be outside just to feel the sun on my shoulders, to feel that wind on my face, 
take a nice deep breath. Listen to the birds. Watch the squirrels. It can be very entertaining out there. Very much so, you know, and I have a dog. Um, He's been with me since five weeks after the Mack dump truck accident. So he's been with me this entire time. And that's our favorite thing to do is just get outside and just to be there. And we both, he looks for the squirrels. I look for the birds. (laughs) (laughs) I have two puppies too. And I was noticing this morning as I watched them, you know, it rained last night. So they had to stop and smell everything like <laughs> yeah. 10 times i'm like okay i'm liking this outside but i'm ready to go now <laughs> yeah they i mean just being having I, I my office is in an older building and my windows look out into the parking lot but i value those windows so much i you, I, you have no idea it, to give those up would because I have to see the sun. I have to see is the sky blue, and there's a lot of action that can go on in the parking lot. <laughs> yes, and you know, being distracted, you know, because this is something I talk about when I do my workshops. It's you know we can focus for 90 minutes at a time, right? And then we're supposed to distract ourselves or do something different than what we've been doing, right? It's kind of like the mental slap to say, okay, we're shaking it up and then we can go back and focus again. So those windows, those moments to be able to look outside after focusing for so long, yes, I wouldn't be able to function if I didn't have that either. It just, you know, I think that for we're blessed that we have access to that. I can't imagine not having the the freedom to just get up and walk outside. Um, and, and I think, you know, when you go out, even if you go out, people say, talk about exercise and how that makes them feel better. Well, you know, exercise releases endorphins. Endorphins do make you feel better. We've got a couple minutes left before we go to break. And when I think about, you know, everything that we've talked about, it really kind of boils down to that you just have to stop and, te- you know, do a self-check-in. What's going on with me? Oh, why am I Why am I feeling the way I feel? Um, and it's, there's probably self-care is something that comes up a lot, but I think there's probably, you know, more to self-care than Netflix and a glass of wine. And <laughs> I think self-care has really evolved into what I call soul care because it, it's, it really encompasses your your values and your basic your basic things that are important to you um anything you'd like to add on about self-care or i mean do you think it's the whole answer real quick in this one minute we've got i think self-care is about the activities and the rituals that we do to create and sustain a flexible nervous system and you know self-indulgence is what we do to reward ourselves so if you know, Netflix binge watching is something that helps you calm your nervous system. Do that. But if it's not, it's all about the intention behind it um, at the end of the day. But it's the flexible nervous system for me is self-care. Well, I think you're so right, because it doesn't matter what self-care is. For, you know, if that's taken up for me, I love to take a long, hot bath or, or if it's taking a walk, whatever it is, become aware of that and don't use it as a privilege. Use it as a part. That's part of your daily routine. You need to tap into that every single day and not think twice about it and not feel guilty about it. We'll be back after these messages. It's merging down the road. 
I just hate it when someone starts a sentence by saying, don't take this the wrong way, but... According to Elizabeth Bernstein of the Wall Street Journal, we all do this on occasion. Some people refer to these phrases as tee-ups. That seems fitting. What do you do with a golf ball? You tee it up and then give it a giant wallop. Tee-ups like, to tell you the truth, supposedly soften the blow. But if you are taking the trouble to announce your honesty now, maybe you've been telling too many teradiddles, flummery, and fiblets. Being on the wrong side of a tee-up can be confusing for the listener. What are other words for confusion and frustration? Wouldn't dream and jargoggle. Maybe it would be best to try to remain pricknickety. That means totally above board and precise. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. It's words you never heard. Are you a cheese lover? Then you would be called a quesophile. Cheese has been around a long time. In fact, the remains of cheese were found in Egyptian tombs over 4,000 years ago. The United States produces 25% of the world's cheese, while the largest consumer is Greece. If you're an average American, you'll eat 27 pounds of cheese per year. A cheese factory in Wisconsin is the only place still making the famously stinky Limburger cheese. The pungent odor comes from the bacteria that live in the rind. Apparently, mosquitoes are attracted to Limburger cheese. This could make anyone a tyrophobiac. That's a person who's afraid of cheese. They say it's the early bird that gets the worm, but it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. It's marching down. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back, and before we went to break, we were talking about self-care. And self-care means so many different things to different people. And a lot of times, we haven't even thought about self-care, what it means or how we should use it or implement it. And so I think there's a lot more to be said about self-care, Erica. I completely agree. You know, I think we can do like four episodes on self-care, probably (laughs) a whole year's worth of podcast episodes on (laughs) self-care. Um, I think where I'd like to start for this moment is, you know, for folks that are not able to have those moments where they can look out the window, right? Like how we were just talking about before the break, you know, and they're stuck inside like a hospital because that's where their job is, or they are first responders or they're teachers, you know, like when do you have the time to do self-care? And when we are very stressed, extremely stressed, past the point of chronic stress and we're heading into the burnout phase, we tend to not feel like we have anything left to give. At least I know from my own personal experience, when someone used to tell me, just take care of yourself, do some self-care. And I was like, you want me to go to the spa? I have no time to go to the spa. And it became this mission of mine to figure out what is truly self-care. And the more I've learned over the years, it is really something that fulfills your soul, like how you were saying before the break. And yet it's also about that flexible nervous system, because we need to be able to move out of a stress state back to a calm state. And we have to have that flexibility. And so a lot of the time, you know, if you need to laugh, laugh, go find friends that bring you energy and not drain you. 
go and find things that can relax your body. Or sometimes it is also exercising. That's self-care. And I think you said it's something very important too before the break is self-care is a necessity. It's a non-negotiable. It's not something that is something you can do if you have time. It needs to be part of who you are day in and day out. And it doesn't need to be something that takes forever to do, but you do need to dedicate time to replenish your soul but also to make sure you're creating that flexibility within your nervous system, you know, and you no know, longer just pushing through. It, that's been the biggest challenge for me with my clients is getting them to understand this isn't a luxury. This isn't something that you have to earn. You know, you don't have to do something really miraculous to be able to give yourself some self-care. This is something that you do as part of your everyday life so that you live your everyday life better. Right. You know, I used to think sleeping, like I'll sleep later on during the week. I'll make up my sleep on the weekends. I don't think that way anymore. Like sleep is prioritized now. Now that I have a routine and I have better hygiene when it comes to sleep, that is a non-negotiable for me because I know if I don't sleep, I won't be able to be the best version of me and I won't be able to give what I need to give to everybody, especially now, you know, doing the workshops that I do. So my understanding of productivity has changed drastically. It's no more like, let's just work hard 24-7. It's everything that I need to do to make me become the best version of me is included in that idea of productivity. I like that. I like that a lot, you know, uh, because you're taking yourself into consideration. And a thing that I learned a long time ago when I had my twins and my mom said to me, she said, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of anybody else. And it hit me then. And I was like, you know what? She's right. And she was. Yes. You know, in marriage and family therapy, what we learned, you know, it's now is this most famous saying, or people say it all the time, at least I hear it everywhere now, um, is, you know, when you're on the airplane, you have to put the oxygen mask on first, right? Before you can give it to somebody else. It's the same thing. You have to do what you need to do to make sure that you are operating at the best that you can be because, you know, you want self-care is another way I've heard self-care is you take care of yourself so that you can give other people the best parts of you instead of what's left of you. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. Well, when, when we talk more about self-care, have, I have had clients that they understand it. They're all for it. However, their spouse or their partner doesn't necessarily share the same view and it creates conflict. Happens all the time. And I think this comes down to, you know, having a serious talk with your partner and what I mean by a serious talk is you have to get back to your values. What are your values? And if you can have an honest conversation with your partner about your values and their values, you know, you can most of the time when you're not stressed out and you're not in the middle of um, a really stressful moment, but take time where it can be relatively calm and you can schedule it. So you both know you need to have this conversation and you have an open dialogue about your values and what you're looking for, what you're trying to do. I, in my career, what I have known most of the time, your partner will end up supporting you. 
but it's when we try to talk to our partner in the middle of a heightened stressful moment, that's when we're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> well, that's when we're, we're reacting to our partner. We're not really trying to talk. Mm-hmm. Yes. So delivery matters and how and when you're going to have the talk matters too. It really does. And, you know, what I have found, if you can get that partner to indulge, to have a little self-care, all of a sudden, there's a new appreciation for it. Yeah, you know, we did that. And, oh, my gosh, we had the nicest evening. Everything just was so relaxed. So I'm a big believer in reward um, instead of punishment. I always, if you'll try this with me, then I'll do this for you. Um, you know, give a little little give and take because and self-care, if you if you really want to integrate it into your lifestyle, it's not just you going in the room and closing the door. Right. You know, and even with families like now I'm branching, thinking about the kiddos, too, when because we have parents who say, I can't do this self-care because my kids are all over the place. This is something everyone can do together. You can make this a family event. You can Make this something everyone learns how to do together, and it can become a way of life within the family. You can change the culture of your relationship and your family. Wow, and what a great gift to give your kids to model that behavior, because as parents, and I say this and I think back and go, ooh, but as parents, we're constantly modeling behavior. Mm-hmm. And we're showing our kids what what they need to be doing. So if you think about it that way, and you could you could model that behavior for your kids, reduce the stress in their life already. What a great what a great gift. It's immeasurable because you're teaching these you're teaching these young kiddos life skills that they're going to need when they get older. Because you know, there's that saying that um, says mindset sets you is mindset is what sets you apart from the rest, right? I don't agree with that. I think it's the state of your nervous system and knowing how to move through your nervous system is what sets you apart from the rest. That's what determines who's who's successful in life and thrives versus who just gets by and survives. So if you can teach your kids on how to navigate their nervous system because you're learning how to navigate your nervous system, That is a skill set that will get them very far in life and it will allow them to achieve the things that they want to achieve. Well, I think sleep, you know, let's start with sleep. If we want to navigate our nervous system and if we want to create some balance and what concerns me about the younger, the kiddos is a lot of them sleep with their phone and they hear it. They hear when they get a text message, they hear when they get a, somebody like they're posting And there's going to be some real consequences that we're going to pay for all that. Extreme consequences, right? And there's the physical part of it where I believe there's a research study somewhere that was saying um, that if you sleep with your phone near your head, you're 60% more likely to have um, a brain tumor of some sort. And it was a startling number. And I was like, what? But more than that, you know, it's disrupting their sleep. So they're not able to have their bodies replenish and recuperate the way that they need to. You know, when I was teaching at the university, I had a student once say something about how she has her phone under her pillow. And I was like, what do you mean your phone's under your pillow? You don't at least put it on the nightstand. She's like, no, it's under the pillow. And I was like, well, when do you ever take a break from your phone? 
And the real thing is no one's taking a break from their phone. They take it. It goes into the bathroom with you. It goes to the bedroom with you. It goes under the pillow when we should be having our phones be on airplane mode and like 15 feet away from us or in a totally different room at night. I I could not agree with you more. I think that we're we're addicted to our cell phones. And I think that because we can do everything, we can pay our bills, we can check our bank account, we can check on our friends, we can check on our kids, we can research, we can read, we can watch TV, we can watch movies. We're addicted to it. We get that cell phone in our hand and that brain starts pumping out that dopamine. Oh, yeah, I'm going to like this. I'm going (laughs) to like what happens next. The problem is those little nerve cells get real confused after a while Because the more dopamine that gets pumped out, the more they want that cell phone. Exactly. And did you see the newest article that was published in Nature um, at the end of January where they said that um, if we're reading on our phones, our phones are actually making us dumber, quote unquote, um, in the sense of it's not allowing us to have true cognitive function because our bodies are not able to breathe and do that self-regulating that they needs to do while we're reading on our cell phones. Well, University of North Carolina did some really interesting work looking at cell phones and the damage it's done. And you think about it. I I used to know everybody that I called on a regular basis. I knew their phone number. I don't anymore. And when you think about it, I never I would get in my car and I would just, okay, now where am I going? How did I get there last time? I would figure it out. I don't anymore. But I don't need to. Our cell phone is making our brain so lazy. We're losing that ability to process the information on the band. And I'm amazed at how many people are so dependent upon their cell phone for everything. Right. That critical thinking component is constrained. And you know, when I was working in the public school system, I was a school social worker, and it was amazing to me when I was working with the high school students or the middle middle school students, and that critical thinking component wasn't there necessarily because they were like, well, let me just pull out my phone and check or and Google that. And I was yep. like, no, let's think it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's interesting because I'm in the middle of a PhD program, and I'm in a residency, and, and last night... We were talking about, you know, how to do research and and I'm like, well, what about Google Google Scholar? Because it's something that we all I turn to all the time. And, you know, there's such a difference for me. If I this is virtual, if I could walk into a library, I would be much more inclined to go and pick up the books, you know, and the touch, the the interaction. But virtually. I just assume everything is just Google, just Google it. And it's really not. Yes, I find the same thing. Um, I'm, I can't really add too much more to that because it's exactly how I feel. And it's, you know, the it's a lost art of knowing what it feels like to be in a library, I think, number one. But number two, that feeling of the hardcover books. I don't know. I'm, I love those feelings. I love the smell of books and I love the feeling of books. Um, I struggle with reading online, to tell you the truth. Well, and I worry about our, you know, if you think about it in the last two years, a lot of kids, their whole schooling has been on an iPad. Correct. And they, that's all they've had. And so the, to lose that connection, um, 
I'm so thankful that I have that connection and I will do the best I can to keep it. But so we've talked a lot about self-care and, and we've talked about different challenges that are associated with it. And I think one of the ones that I hear a lot, and you mentioned it earlier, it's time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And what advice do you give people when they when they play the I don't have time card? You know, when I hear that, it's usually there's a fear component associated to that where there's this fear that it's something more they have to do or it's the fear of the unknown, right? When we hit resistance, it's usually there's a fear of the unknown. They're, so they're not completely understanding yet what the benefits are, how it's going to really work for them and what can really happen if they were to implement it in their life. So when I hear this is also my sales experience coming in with my psychological experience coming in um, or psychology experience, I should say. And what I've learned is it just means we have to talk more. If I'm if somebody's hesitant to try something new, it means they haven't understood it yet. And so their nervous system's heightened. It's hijacked at the moment for whatever reason. And so let's talk it out so that they can find the comfort where they need to be able to have that window of tolerance so that they can do it. I think you're exactly right, because a lot of the ways that people process, you know, they talk about it, they they talk it out and they process it. And once they process it, oh, there's value in doing that. Yeah, I need to do that. Right. And us as the practitioners, if we're able to stay in our own center and realize they're not doing this because they're not saying no because they just feel like saying no and really have be able to hold that space and be that compassionate ear that needs to just be a sounding board you realize people will go and do what they need to do they know what they need to do and they will do it sometimes they just have to process and realize that the fear is not founded well and that that in itself is a huge step forward because that and that's calming that brain down, that's calming that autonomic nervous system down, that's getting that cellular communication, the brain body talk going. There's a lot. There's a lot about that, mm-hmm. um, and it's and it takes time. It and it and it takes stop and look at the history. It just it's just not going on today because you're stressed out today. It's been building, and how long has it been building? And what's been feeding it? Because, you know, we all have that inner wolf in our in our brain and we have that inner lamb and in which survives the one that we feed. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, I'm going to um, go back to what you just said and say it does matter. Our history does matter. Right. Everything in context matters. Nothing's black and white. There's always a gray area in the sense of. Nobody ever just says no because they don't want to do something. There's usually a story behind it. And when we can understand our own stories and where it comes from, we're able to navigate and do almost anything. That's a really good point that we all have a story. You know, you got into this doing what you do because you got hit by a Mack truck. I got into doing what I do because one of my kids got hit by a car. And by the time he was in fifth grade, he told me his brain was just not working anymore. And mm-hmm. the only the only option I was offered was to put him on Ritalin. And that was not an option that I wanted to. That would not be a first step that I would right. take. Right. Um, 
So it's the stories. It's it's the the baggage that we all have. Yes, and I think that's important for everyone to understand. You know, we all have a story. We all go through some challenge or adversity at some point in our life. And the more we can connect on our stories and the more we're able to have compassion for one another, you know, we can heal and go further than we could ever go. And I think acceptance is such a big part of that. Just accepting that what has happened happened. And because first, you know, I'm mad about it. I'm threatened by it. I don't like it. It's wrong. Um, And all of those things could be very well true. But what it boils down to is it's over. You got to let it go. You got to accept it and pick it up and move forward any way that you can. Exactly. You know, and I don't know if you can speak to this, but I can speak to this. You know, it's little by little, step by step. Little steps lead to big steps over time. And the more you let go little by little, and you reframe things, and you continue moving forward, you know, it's the cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back. But as long as you keep moving across that dance floor, you'll get to where you need to go, and you will find that acceptance. Just don't expect to find the acceptance overnight. Well, and I, I can't, that resonates with me, because when I think of goals, people will come in, and they've made their annual goals. Well, that's great, but let's break them down. You know, let's break it first. Let's break them down into monthly goals. Then let's break them down into weekly goals, because then you can start. You can actually achieve some of them. If you're if you're only looking at the end and you're not looking at those two steps forward and two steps back, you're never going to make it to the end. No, you won't. You'll get burnt out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you will. And that's that's what we don't want, you know, and I think. Using your timing, using goals is a way to help yourself, you know, keep your eye on the prize. And that's a good way to do it. And those goals have got to be smart, specific, measurable, accurate, reliable, and timely. And that that makes them sound so simple. I had somebody say, that's so simple. And I'm like, well, that's what goal setting is all about. Keep it simple. Yes. Absolutely. And that's another one of my things I'm always saying is keep it simple, silly. We're just going to keep it simple because life's complicated enough. We don't need to make it more complicated. Absolutely, we don't. So my guess is, is that, you know, you've you work with a lot of people that are burnt out. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. You know, a lot of a lot of times those people that are really burnt out are overachievers and People that just, you know, try so hard. Let's take the next few minutes and talk to those overachievers. Talk to those people that are burnout. If there's anything that we've talked about that you would like them to remember, what would that be? We don't need to hustle to thrive. You know, coming from a former high achiever, you know, I'm still a high achiever, but I'm not a hustler anymore. You know, I was somebody who always used to grind and made sure I do anything I had to do to get to where I wanted to be. And I was successful at it until I got hit by that Mack dump truck. And I realized, wow, I didn't know how to handle stress in a healthy way. So it's more about learning how to create and sustain that flexible nervous system so that you can get into energetic alignment and then 
as when you get into that energetic alignment with your intentions, you start to achieve your desired outcomes because the more flexibility you have in your nervous system, the more you're able to flow and the more you're able to be productive. So instead of this being a trauma response of pushing through and getting things done, no matter the cost, you are able to be productive from a place of flowing and knowing when to push on the gas, when to take a break and have complete faith that things will work at the time frame that they need to work on. Well, you know, I love that push on the gas because that's that's what we all want to do. You know, gun it. Get let's get there. Let's get there today. Let's make things happen today. Um, and we need to learn how to break and, you know, tap those brakes occasionally instead of waiting until you have to come to a screeching halt. Um, so I think that's that's really, really good advice for people out there. And I think I'm saying to myself, I could practice that a little more intent, intently. Um, you know, so we've got about three minutes left. For, for our listeners out there that, that would like to learn more about you, that would like to access you how do they do that are are you on social media how do they do that so i am on instagram facebook and linkedin all at the burnout professor um, i'm also part of this movement called hashtag same here where we all believe that five and five of us experience mental health challenges at some point in our life it's not the one in five that we're made to believe and so because we're always on this continuum of thriving all the way to surviving and everywhere in between. And I'm the director of the programs over there for the service industry or the service sector, I should say. So first responders, military, healthcare professionals, CEOs, and mental health professionals. You can find me there at samehereglobal.net. Um, but I do not have a website, but if you follow me through my social media that I just said, the burnout professor, you'll be able to be updated when I offer workshops and classes or one-to-one -one coaching. That's great. So what kind of, just real quick, give us an overview of the workshops that you offer and the one-on-one -on -one coaching. So for coaching, I offer three programs. You can do Stress Be Gone, which is more for folks who feel like they're heading towards burnout. And it's just uh, six week, six sessions to kind of teach you some skills to implement into your everyday life. Then I have Burnout Recovery Coaching, which is 13 sessions over six months. And that helps you learn how to navigate life after burnout and create a sustainable way of being going forward. And then I also have something called Hashtag Undeniable Truth Life Coaching, where we learn some skills, but we also dig deeper into your soul and we help you learn how to own, speak, and live your truth. Wow, that sounds like some amazing work that you're doing there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I think that this is a time we're coming out of the pandemic and we're, we're going to start to evolve to the new normal. I don't know what that is, but anytime I'm in a, t a time of transition, I always use that time as a time to come out on the other side a little bit better, bigger, better and stronger. So I encourage our listeners to do the same. And maybe that's looking at if you're burnt out or looking at how you manage your stress, or looking at how you manage or don't manage your self-care, even if you just take, you know, a couple of steps forward, then I'm going to allow myself on a daily basis, 10 minutes. I can do anything I want for those 10 minutes. I think if you did nothing more than that, you would have a more enjoyable day. 
So thank you so much, Erica, for being with me today. I appreciated everything you shared. Thank you for having me. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Brain Performance Center.com.